And that's why I have to go full frozen and make true love's kiss be between sisters. Sisters! Because true love doesn't have to mean romantic love. Gross. <laughs> but this was written 60 years prior. So it probably did. True love's kiss could yeah, be embarrassing, like, in theory, if you yeah. don't know each other. Like, soulmates, like, we, yeah, what, yeah, if, yeah. what if you hate each other at the time and the only way to get through the wall is yeah. to kiss? You're in an enemies to lovers, like, arc, but you're still in the enemies part, mm-hmm. and then you have to kiss. That's a good way to get it going past a slow burn face. Like, well, let's quicken this burn. Just get them kissing. Let's add some candle to this okay. fire. Someone write it. Send it, send it to us at fireplacepodcast.gmail.com. Welcome to Five Pairings, I'm Grace. I'm Claire. It's a podcast about fan fiction, and today is the day that we school everyone in the history of fan fiction. Today's prompt was, uh, like, vintage fanfic. Yes? Something yes. like that. So... I want to find vintage. Vintage. I want to uh, find vintage A nice, of... uh, I don't know, what, what, what year would a vintage wine have come out? I don't... I need a good... <laughs> decanted Chianti. Sure. I was trying uh, to think of like what year would be a vintage wine, and I literally no. The hard yet. part is with wine. I think it's like, like a couple years, right? It's yes. not that long. Well, it's that vintage just means wine. Vintage just means what year it was made. Yeah, and what is a good vintage is subjective mm. because someone saying like they really liked the '92 Chianti of yeah. like this is they'll be like, oh, that year they didn't get a ton of rain, and so the flavor is more concentrated, mm-hmm. and like. So and it tends to be sweeter because when they were plumper, like it gets diluted. So it's just like that's anyway. wine. That's wine. <laughs> so <laughs> this is why I'm this is why I'm able to be a Somalia fanfic is Cause, that because <laughs> I understand. Cause, yeah, okay, so actually this is like kind of interesting because yeah. I would say uh, each year would really depend. So like uh, a couple of weeks ago we did uh, Fifth Harmony. Where, like, the writing of Fifth yeah, Harmony yeah. fic in the year 2014 is very different than writing Fifth Harmony fic in the year 2018. Exactly. Yes, okay. We brought, we brought it back. We brought it's it back. exactly like that. <laughs> so. Where it's just, like, based on, like, what was happening in the year that year will yeah, flavor the, the fanfic. The, even, like, by month. Yes, like. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's that, uh, like, if you write a One Direction mm. fanfic. Month, at, month like, it'll be a different flavor. Like, after they broke up versus before. Yeah. It's, like, fun to read, like, old ones. So, yes, it's exactly like that where it's. <laughs> The surroundings color what happens. Yes, and so even farther back, so we, uh, in theory, this episode uh, will be around the same time as a bonus episode that we recorded with uh, a woman named Miriam who is a fanfic academic. We went over a little bit of the like 101 of fanfiction and also got into the history of fanfiction. And in that conversation, we ended up having a discussion about what was the like catalyst of fan fiction as we know it now and we kind of talked about like oh well like way back in the day you know everyone was writing cinderella stories or everyone was writing um like vampire stuff so like that's not really fan fiction but it's taking the idea of using something that's already established with a lore to make your own story yeah but it really cemented in uh the 60s with uh star trek fandom because Star Trek, and I didn't know zines were this old, but Star Trek zines started coming out in, like, the mid-50s, even. Whoa. Yeah, like, mid-50s, um, and then went all the way through, I mean, probably also to now, but mostly until also the, until, like, the 90s. 
All right. So yeah, I... <laughs> until the internet was available. Really, until the internet was like available, yes. So I ended up finding on archive.org a list of media fanzines based on Star Trek, which there are a ton. You can actually go in and find all of these. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, so I will link this um, probably in the show notes. It's basically archive.org, not archive by Veron, archive.org. So if, yeah, if anyone's really into like vintage writing or like you know, 60s style, like, sci-fi. Yeah. The things that are in these zines are so funny to me. Yeah. Because it'll be, like, poems. It'll be, like, analyses of the outfits that they wear. It'll be, Ooh. like, it's, like, really, like, it's, like, like they're very into this stuff. Oh, in a way. It's a, it's a, yeah. like, it's a forum like we have nowadays. Yeah, it's like a forum. It's like somebody, like, is putting out their essay on, like, why Spock's facial expressions look like this. Oh. Um, and it's me yeah. watching the, it's me watching the uh, historical costume TikToks about Bridgerton mm-hmm. and someone who, like, studied it being like, yes or no, this is Right, accurate. yeah, it is a lot like that. Oh. And I guess unsurprisingly, but, like, in case anyone was unaware, like, most zines now and in the past are very um, from underground people. So, like, women, queer people, trans people, people of color. And that is not dissimilar in the 60s. A lot of these were circulated by women and women of color uh, for Star Trek. (laughs) That makes... I mean, honestly, that makes sense. Yeah. Especially when you think about, like... I don't think we've talked a lot about gatekeeping in in fandoms. Yeah. But uh, it's that gatekeeping has, I would hope, improved in recent years because of... We've had more connection in internet fandoms that you can find someone who won't gatekeep and be right. like, so you're not a true fan? So before we get too deep, uh, let's introduce the cocktail. It is an old fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> a fine vintage. A fine vintage. So yes, a couple of, obviously old fashioned's pretty on the nose, but in theory, I didn't have all these things, but to make this a Star Trek old fashioned, not only would you have a maraschino cherry, you'd have a blueberry and a lemon peel. Oh, for the three colors oh, of, oh, oh. or even if you are, if you're a Kirk Spock shiver, you could do just the blueberry and the lemon yeah, peel. Yeah, just, yeah. I was like, right now we just got a red shirt in here. Yeah, right now it's just the red shirt. It's real, real crew drink. And so like an old fashioned. That means one of us is going to die. Why? What? So, I don't know Star Trek. Okay. Um, <laughs> that well. <laughs> tro- trope of Star Trek. The oh, same. the red shirts only. Are the only people yes. who die. It's that, no, when, that. Like, when they go onto like an yeah. alien planet, they said an unnamed red shirt character onto the planet yeah. to like, they're like, I'm going to go scout ahead. And then they immediately get shot. And yeah. all of the like named characters are like, oh, oh no. no. But they can't die because yeah, obviously yeah. they have to stay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Someone else is going to die. Um, yeah. So not unlike an old fashioned, old fashions have been around for a very long time, but they only became popular in the 1960s. <laughs> Whoa. Just like fan fiction. Yay! Bring it around. As you will see, like, this this writing is so good. Like, it seems very clear that this is not, like, the first time anyone has thought of the idea of fan fiction. Okay. Ooh, strong. It's pretty good, though. Ooh, it is good. Yes. I think the first time I had an old-fashioned, I was like, no. (laughs) I was like, I was like... I was like, man, it really sucks. I'm never going to be cool. Yeah, there's. I mean, we tend to not put ice in things for, like, clink noises, so there should be more ice in this, but... <laughs> you know, you know yeah. whatever. Without, even sans any ice, it's still pretty good. It's mm-hmm. nice and chill. So this fanfic is just called Star Trek. <laughs> good. And, okay, this is kind of fun. It is written by a woman named, uh, I think, Ruth Berman. And okay. so I tried to look up Ruth Berman to, like, see if anything came up. And it did. 
She um, has a pretty fun history. So she was born in 1942. Okay. So when this came out, she was about our age, like mid-20s. <gasps> yes. Um, this is just from like a like a fandom wiki site. So like obviously this is all up to speculation and like et cetera. But um, she has been writing stories, uh, I guess fan stories, since the mid-50s. Oh. Which obviously is before Star Trek came out. So there are yeah. probably other things written for other scenes. Yeah. But that was when she would have been in high school. Okay. So very cool. She specifically became a Star Trek fan writer in like the 60s and 70s, which is where this fic comes in. And she then went on to be um, like a more official role in like, what was it called? Um, like a Star Trek, like behind the scenes, like magazine and fanzine. Oh, So cool. she ended up doing that. And then she ended up uh, being like a published writer and winning awards for her short poetry. And then was a professor at the University of Minnesota. <laughs> Where me and Claire both went to school. <laughs> I am... Oh my god, I am shook. Isn't that wild? I am shook. Yeah, she's still alive, as far as I know. Um, yeah, she's written a lot. This is just like a... I'm just like scrolling through a list of her published works, which most of them are um, poems, but also some science fiction, which like you will see, she's a very good writer. She doesn't work for the University of Minnesota right now, because I was really trying to find her like email, and I was going to email her from my university email. <laughs> <laughs> to be like, do you remember anything about this fan fiction? I have a podcast. <laughs> and then I just start crying. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, yeah, no, so it would have been like amazing if I could, but I couldn't find any contact information for her. Oh my God, um, um, this is going to start the quest of a lifetime. I'm going to find yeah. her. Well, and, like everything I found was like, uh, like it, this is like the Wayback Machine. So it's yeah, like yeah, something yeah. that was on the university website a while ago, but is not currently on the website. So they do not have her current information. So I assume she is retired. If she was born in 42, she would be like, what, like 80, yeah. 80 years yeah, old? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's probably retired. I hope uh, so. We are going to get into this. And uh, as I said, these fics are quite a bit longer. And all of them were kind of like this, where like on an, in an 80-page scene, they'd be like, 20 to 30 pages, so I'd be like, okay, well, we can't read this whole thing. But I'm going to read kind of the beginning, and then I'm going to read I'm trying to imagine that arriving in your mailbox. Yeah. Just like... Well, you can kind of see, like, where... Uh, I'm reading, like, a scanned image of it. So, like, they're not large pages. Like, it's oh, probably, yeah, like, yeah, a yeah. booklet, like, but maybe a comic book size. But still, that's Yeah, just... but you, I assume you only got it every six months, every year, like, so it makes sense Dang. to make it a little more hefty. Yeah. You know? So this is from a fanzine called Spacanalia, or Spacanalia, not sure, the okay. first volume, and it is in the context of, like, a fan-written episode. Okay. Oh, okay. Yes. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, I'm going to read the beginning, the setup, and then I'll, like, skip to the end. All right. Star Trek by Ruth Berman. Reprinted from Pantapon number 16, by permission from the author. On the Enterprise, Sulu ran his hands through the space which he had been occupying a moment ago. Captain, he said. Mr. Spock. His panic increased as he counted empty spaces. Captain James Kirk of the Starship Enterprise glared at the young man asleep in the middle of the room. Where are we? He demanded. Well, did you know Kirk is from Iowa? I did not know that. <laughs> yes. Canonically, he's from Iowa. The first one? Um, yeah. Captain James T. Kirk is canonically from... Oh, like from the character. The character. <laughs> I he Sorry. No, no, no. No, that's fair. Uh, William Shatner is not from Iowa. <laughs> Wait, James okay. C. Kirk is a uh, Iowa is a good Iowa beef. Oh, cake. he's an Iowa uh, he's an Iowa beef. Fan. Yes, Boy, in the same fine. way that Superman is from Kansas, ah. Kirk is from um, a small town in Iowa, and they gotcha, do gotcha, have gotcha. a plaque that says the birthplace of Jeff of Captain James T. Kirk. Where are we? He demanded. The question woke the sleeper. In a dungeon. Beyond that, I don't know. Who are you? Kirk introduced himself. Lieutenant Uhura. Yep. Uh -huh. yes. Uhura. Uhura. Yeah. Uhura. There we go. Uhura. Mr. Spock and Doctor McCoy. How do you do? 
said the stranger politely. I'm the Cocytus. He rose and bowed. Perfect. <laughs> the walls were littered with fragmentary mu- ru- murals. Here, a tournament, there, an orgy, or a hunt, or a dance of satyrs, and dozens of bright-colored boats sailing the gray stone rivers between each scene. Dr. McCoy grinned as he found the Cocytus staring at an orgy in the middle of the wall. There's a more imaginative one to your left in the top corner, he said. The young man smiled at him. No, I have a more literary interest. He pointed at a neat inscription covering a fat man's rear. The others joined him in trying to decipher it, but it was upside down. And all any of them got was a mild attack of vertigo. So, for context, this I had to read this a couple of times because it was kind of hard to track where we were. Uh, so they have exited the Star Trek Enterprise and they yep. are in a dungeon. Yes. They are not on the ship, which no. I did not understand the no. first time no. reading this through. Yep. They have exited and found a man lying on the ground who's calling himself the Cocytus, which I think is a Greek myth river. Sure. That doesn't come into play. Okay. <laughs> it's just a name. It's not Inception brick in the face. It is not an Inception brick in the face. The Cocytus blinked and rubbed his forehead. Then he rose in the air, cartwheeling as he went, until he stood on the ceiling, his eyes level with the inscription, and his cloak spreading out beneath him like a storm cloud. He let his feet fall and dropped to the floor, where he stood gazing at the inscription with a bemused expression. Well, said Kirk. Well, he said slowly, it's an ordinary dirty joke, told in the form of a Spenserian stanza. The names of the protagonists are given as Prince Arthur and Queen Gloriana, fairest Tanaquil. McCoy snorted. However, he went on, there's a phrase that may be the key to a spell to get us out of here. Elf's, or man's, or neither's kiss. <gasps> Just stuck in there parenthetically, and it doesn't make any sense in context, except, of course, that it rhymes with piss. Lieutenant Uhura, may I kiss you? You can't kiss her. <laughs> it says clearly two mans. <laughs> she, she was silent, dark face and passive, and she unwound his line of thought. Very well. He moved her lips gently, ran to the door, and shoved it. It moved about half an inch and thumped on its lock. The Cocytus rubbed his bruised arm. Not very successful, Mr. McCoy commented. No. Would one of you humans care to try? Are you serious about this? Kirk asked. Oh, yes. He looked at the skeptical faces and laughed. It's not, that un- not all that uncommon. You have to remember that magic is science in this world. Oh, yes. It's a standard sort of spell. All right. Kirk put his arm around Uhura and kissed her firmly. Perfectionist, McCoy muttered to himself. On the other hand, he's probably never kissed her before. Jim doesn't sleep with officers. That's sort of a lie, but... (laughs) In theory. One slanting eyebrow slanted higher on Spock's face, and McCoy suddenly remembered the Vulcan's acute hearing. He looked at Spock questioningly. Your diagnosis is probably correct, Spock said. Still locked, the Cocytus announced. I guess we're stuck. We don't have any elves around. What are you? said Uhura. Me? Why, I'm... I suppose it depends on the definition. I was thinking of Spencer's elves. Or was it green and yellow creatures sitting on a buttercup in a, in a, in, I had in mind? Well, that would still leave us needing someone neither elf nor human. McCoy looked at the ceiling. Uhura looked at her feet. And Kirk looked at Spock. The Cocytus considered all the glances carefully. Hmm, I see, he said. Mr. Spock? Spock turned Kirk's glance off for a moment, then pulled Uhura to him. McCoy took his gaze off the ceiling. Open, the Cocytus said some moments later. I don't get a turn? said McCoy plaintively. <laughs> oh well, he added. Sorry we couldn't find a more Prince Charming sort of neither nor for you, Ahura. Mr. Spock is quite satisfactory, she said calmly as she hurried out the door. No accounting for tastes, sighed McCoy and ran to catch them. So, okay, <laughs> basically what is happening is they have landed on, and I'll get into more of what happens because we're going to skip ahead to the end. <laughs> okay. But actually, I might 
read a little bit more. But basically, they are they have crash landed uh, or been sucked into a planet where they are basically in fairy tale land. Okay. So magic is real. Magic is the science of this world. So the people inside oh. this world have like an innate knowledge of like, oh, well, if we're stuck in here, there must be a spell to get us out. Yes. It's like a, an escape room. I found uh. the inscription. The inscription is something about kissing elves. So who's the least human of us? Can you can you imagine going into an escape room that was like you have to kiss? <laughs> I also thought it was funny because what like, a fun date business. Ew. <laughs> there's like specifically like, fine pairings the escape room. There's specifically a romance based escape room that gets the two people who've been crushing on each other to kiss, and that's the only way to open the door. Um, I'm how stress inducing. I can't. That's really funny. Also, I being obtuse would be like that. It can't possibly be that we kiss. Why would it be both of us? Why would it be? Why would? Kiss how would they know that that we're the two people who have crushes on each other? How would they know that? How would they know? How would they know? How are they gonna know? How are they gonna know? But like this escape Meanwhile, room, like has to be set up by your friend who like yeah. tells them. Right, and also as a person, I'd be like, no, we just need to find another code, and they'd be like, no, it has to be a no, kiss, and I'd be like, no, we have to find the five digit code for the Obviously. lock. Uh, yeah, so, and I also thought this bit was funny because, like, what's the fastest way to get a lot of characters to kiss each other? Hot. Like, magic spell that opens a door. You gotta kiss each other. Uh, you two try. Uh, it wasn't, okay, you two try. Okay, uh, you two try. <laughs> Just get everyone to kiss the one female. And here, uh, I was waiting for them to be like, it says that two men No, we're not need in the 80s kiss, <laughs> And therefore, we have no, to finally get to the point where Kirk and Spot, Spock are like, wait, we're other. the only ones who haven't kissed yet. So they have opened the door successfully <laughs> because the coconuts knew uh, knew that they had a spell <laughs> and the spell Excellent. was two people kissing. Oh, they found the coconuts down a long corridor, dimly lit by rows of small blue lights set on the floor. The inverted shadows cast up on their faces distorted their looks. Kirk felt as if he was in a pack of monsters and had to fight the impulse to run away and get away from the beasts. The corridor ended and three narrower corridors branched off from it. They stopped, uncertain which way to go. The coconuts peered down each one, sniffing the chilly air. The little group pulled together in a cluster at the end of the corridor, hemmed in by a cage on one side and a large roll-top desk at the other. The cage held a stinking creature, something like a small dragon, so far as they could see it. Although it was asleep, they drew away from it and pressed up against the dark. Its surface was hidden by a mass of books. There's also, like, very cute little illustrations. I have, we're going to put the link in the show notes so you can go read the whole thing for yourself. Three jars of herbs, a row of quill pens in a stand, a half-written parchment, a plaster bust, and an inkwell full of golden liquid that gave off a light. It was a faint light, but it seemed sharp after the shadowy blues. The parchment, too, shone gold, and a little pool of gold light was gathering on a furry blotter left beneath the pens. Hmm, still wet, Spock murmured. I wonder. He reached for the parchment, but the coconut whirled so swiftly that he knocked against Ahura and caught Spock's arm. Careful! Master! Master! yelled the plaster bust. Uh-oh. Its voice was high and echoed thinly down the corridor. Uhura stumbled and McCoy studied her. Are you all right? He said. Yes, she said. One of those pens pricked me. That's all. A screaming and clattering rose in the distance from the middle corridor. The thing in the cage snored and sighed and made a whistling sound like water boiling. The coconut struggled and then shrugged and then ran ahead down the right corridor. It led them into a flight of winding stairs. There was no banister, and the stairs were steep, so they used their hands as well as their feet to race. Kirk, scrambling up the stairs, felt he had become one of the pack and wondered why he was not baying. A light flickered from the top of the stairs as they circled, and he ordered himself to concentrate on it. The Cocodus reached the next door and ran at, the, at random to the left. Kirk grabbed him and tugged on, to, on him to a halt. The others collided with him. <laughs> Look, 
said Kirk, trying to pull his arm out of the tangled point. What? said the coquettess. Oh! The light was daylight, shining through a small, dirty window set high in the wall. McCoy, shorter than the others, looked at it dubiously. The coquettess jumped into the air and tugged at the window, but it stuck fast. Smash it! ordered Kirk. <laughs> the coquettess nodded, wrapping his arm in his cloak, and swung, the f- fresh light streaming in, blinding them. So, okay, they have to escape from this dungeon, which this really made me laugh because I was like, man, if there was ever a pre-Harry Potter, Harry Potter AU. No, I was like... <laughs> like, this is so, like, Chamber of Secrets. Like, we just, I don't know why we know this, but we know we have to escape. <laughs> the, well, it was just, like, all of the, like, quills and the golden liquid. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, like, the golden liquid. I was like, I'm like, that's Felix Felixie. Right. No, and so it gave me a really interesting perspective on, like, why Harry Potter AUs are so popular and it might not even be because harry potter itself is like it's just it's just just the easiest way to be like magic yes right (laughs) with stuff i know a little bit about right for context okay so without really telling us explicitly we are in the middle of an episode in which we are in this magic universe the kokodis is just a guy that popped up and kind of knows the universe they have decided okay it's important for us to get out of this basement Mm -hmm. so they find the light and they go outside and basically from there um we i'm just gonna skip ahead like 10 pages or so basically uh uhura the pen was like poison so they have to wash out her arm and now her arm is injured of course classic they end up in this kind of like field and they come across a knight (laughs) and the knight oh and uh, the coconut has like an idea of where they might be he knows they're in this like greater fairyland like planet sure question mark but he doesn't know which um more or less which country they're in and so he's like okay so if this uh particular person is here or if the people here know about her then i know that we're here or nearby here if they're not here i don't know where we are i can't help you so uh because apparently in like fairyland it's kind of like it's it's very like storybook reminiscent. So yeah. like if you are in your own story, you're good. If you wander into another story, it's kind of like the magic staircase. Like it could be near you at some points, but it's not always near you. Yeah. So yeah, if you yeah. fall into the wrong story, you're fucked. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, yeah. So now I hurry is hurt. They run across this knight whose name is oh Sir Adamantus. Sure. And he basically confirms that they are in the place that the coconut is like, oh, great, I know where we are. Good. And they find out the knight is looking for his lady Constance, and this wizard has taken her. Oh. And so they're like, oh, great. A quest. We are pretty sure something's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> and we need to get, I think they need to get the coconut back to wherever he belongs. And uh, the knight can help them meet everybody, and they can get the knight his lady. So things are going great. So after they find this knight, the knight basically is like, he's <laughs> really, really weird. He like, is like, hmm, okay, well, we, the the tale is that we need to find three oak trees and five stones. So here's three oak trees and five stones. And then he, <laughs> he takes out his sword and slashes it into a fox. And then a duck comes out of the fox and then he wrings the duck's neck and it lays an egg. And he's like, perfect. You know, <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> <laughs> Classic fairy tale. It's such fairy tale logic that, like, if I was like watching it, I'd be like, wait, what the fuck is going like, on? I'm on drugs. I'm on. Yeah, drugs. it felt like I was reading and I was on drugs, <laughs> but it was very much like, oh, I see. Okay, we're in fairy tale. We're just gonna lend. And like, uh, Spock is like, well, at least there's internal logic to this fairy tale. So I guess we'll just listen to this <laughs> right Adamantus man. He gives Spock his sword, and he's like, well, I know how to fence. 
So this sword is very heavy, so I'm not a great swordsman, but, like, sure. And then suddenly, there's these two trolls that come. Wait, did he give it to (laughs) Spock, or did he give it to Sulu? Sulu, Maybe it was Sulu. Sulu's a fencer. No, I I think it was Spock, because, like, Sulu had taught him some moves. Oh, okay. Um, because Spock is logic guy. Yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gives it to Spock, and then these two trolls come out, and they're like, oh, fuck, we gotta deal with these trolls, because they're trying to get to this wizard's castle. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and so, Spurk, 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 Kirk and Spock. Spurk. <laughs> Spock, while they're fighting, because Sulu is, no, the, the knight is also fighting this one of the other trolls. Okay. So they're fighting these trolls, and the whole while Spock is like, man, I'm not a great swordsman, but, like, somehow, we're both doing well against these trolls. Mm-hmm. That's kind of weird. Like, something's, something's going on here. And eventually they defeat the trolls, and uh, then we get to where we're going to pop into. The Kokidus bait his opponent's sword upwards, stepping back, and lowered his sword. You say true, Master Spock, said Onomantis, wanderingly. Kirk let his arm fall. The trolls stared at each other in consternation. Wizard, yelled the Kokidus, what's your game? <laughs> A tall form stepped into the doorway. To get you into this room. As you seem to have discovered my little device, I shall simply invite you in. If you'll step aside, I'll send your escort away. The Cocutus stepped backward to one side, shielding Adamantus. The trolls looked miserable. <laughs> they always look miserable. You have done well, the wizard assured them. But now go and rest. They're like, I'm sad. I, I did my best. I tried to keep them out of this room. They eventually entered another corridor. I think that's where the trolls were. Ah, yes. Because they were like, ah, the wizard, we need to go find him. Because he probably took Lady Constance. This fanfic is very involved. <laughs> it's, it's, a com- it's a fully... Uh, Realized thing. Yes. I know, I started reading this and I was like, is this like part... Is this like with another... Th- like, Cockatwist is such a specific thing that I was like, oh, this must be a character be, that showed yeah. up in Star Trek. No, it's just like another thing. That this person is interested in, and it's Greek mythology. All right. And also fairy tales. It's a lot. They stomped down the trolls. They stomped down the corridor and around the corner. Their footsteps echoed all the way to the staircase. The wizard shouted after them, Find the glazier and tell him to fix the window while you're at it. Now what do we do? Said Kirk. Go on, I guess, said the Cocytus. The room they came into was warmer than the corridor had been, for a large fire was lit and trying to trying hard to take the chill off the, off the stones. The wizard, a cadaverous man, dressed in black, stood leaning against the mantelpiece. If he had stood upright, he would have been taller than any of them, even Sir Adamantus. As it was, the Cocytus and McCoy looked like two smaller boys, and the others felt uncomfortably shrunken. Welcome, madame and gentlemen, said the wizard. Won't you sit down? After a moment, the Cocytus held a chair for Uhura and sat down next to her. We thank you, Lord of the House. McCoy followed suit and said meditatively, Well, it seems you're not a wicked wizard, after all. Wicked, the wizard repeated. That is a curious word you humans use. Not just humans, interrupted the Cocytus. The wizard paid no attention. As I understand it, he went on, it describes one who puts his own interests above those of others. Yes, of course I am wicked. However, I find it to be my interest to grant your wishes. You must, vile enchanter, for I hold you or heart. Which I don't know who said that. Oh, yes, Sir Adamantus. Precisely. My name, by the way, is Thringil. Perfect. I prefer it to Lord of the House or whatever other titles. His or, guests were... Or wizard. <laughs> wicked wizard. Wicked wizard. <laughs> wicked, the wicked wizard of fairyland. His guests were all seated now, except Adamantus. The knight shook his head and sat down. Thre- Threngil, I can't say this. Threngil arched his back against the fire's warmth, the, then drew up a chair and sat down too. Tell me, Mr. Spock, he said, how did you discover my stratagem? <laughs> Captain Kirk is not a skilled swordsman. The Coquitus obviously is, if I may judge by speed and appear- appearance of ease. Yet each was driven his opponent back at the same pace. 
The discrepancy could not reasonably be due to chance. Mm, thank you, said the Thin Grail. Now your wound should be seen to. He rose. So he basically set out trolls that were at the level that they were at as swordsmen on purpose to be like, ooh. <laughs> It's like a video game. They only yeah, get yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Like they, exactly he was what like, you... like, okay, well, Kirk will be on easy mode. This Kokutus man is clearly better, so he's going to get the hard mode troll. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, said Thendril. Now your wounds must be, a, must be seen too. He rose and Kirk pressed back into his chair, shrinking away from him. The wizard smiled bitterly and held out his hands to the ceiling. A quantity of white bandages fell to them. Here, he said to McCoy. But remember to change them when you return to your spaceship. They will turn into cobwebs. <laughs> Wizards. Yes, he just magicked it. Much like in Harry Potter, there's very clear rules to magic. (laughs) And you can't make something out of nothing. No, they're made out of cobwebs. And so when there's no magic left, they're going to... Like Cinderella. Yeah, like... They're going to turn back into pumpkins at the end of this game. McCoy glanced at the Kokidus, who nodded. So McCoy bound up Kirk's wounds, and after him... He got hurt in the the sword fight. After a moment's hesitation, put a fresh bandage on Uhura's arm, who got hurt by the magic plaster man. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, with the pen. Meanwhile, Thangril went on. Would you like some food or drink? Master Thangril! Adamantus burst out, but then stopped. We would. Thank you, said the Kokidus. Thangril clapped his hands and told the goblins who ran to the door to bring wine, fruit, and meat. You are quite correct, Sir Adamantus, he remarked. I enjoy your torment. But aside from that, your companions are hungry. The Cocytus, for example, has eaten nothing for some twelve hours. You must forgive me, he said, turning to the Cocytus. But I expected Sir Adamantus to arrive this morning. When he didn't, I forgot to wake you up for breakfast. You expected me? Yes, said the wizard. What kept you? <laughs> An old man was trying to get <laughs> to get in his harvest, and his son was ill. Adamantus looked ashamed. It is not work fit for a knight, but they needed help. You mortals have such inconsistent ideals, murmured Fengril. I sometimes wonder how you ever disentangle them. However, you are here now. My intention, you see, was to send my servants to capture you before you reached the stream. But how did you know I... It is not so easy to sneak up on a wizard's heart, as you suppose. One feels these things, and one has equipment to substantiate one's feelings. Fengril nodded at the crystal ball on the mantelpiece. As it turned out, the Cocytus occupied the dungeon meant for you, and as I inadvertently provided him with the means of escape, he escaped just when I should have sent my guards out to meet you, and they spent so much time chasing him that they missed you. The pity. Such an ingenious plan. Such an ingenious plan. <laughs> so basically plan. this wizard, like, accidentally, uh, I think he accidentally sucked in the Enterprise also. <laughs> Classic. As well as mixing up these two people because Cocytus is, like, dumb and, like, popped into the wrong yep. timeline or whatever. Yep. So everything got fucked. Why didn't you just hide your heart someplace else? Said McCoy. I cannot touch it. That is the penalty for security. I could have you sent my servants if they were fit to be trusted, but they are not. And are you? Said Adamantus suddenly. It all depends. For example, I am perfectly trustworthy so long as you hold my heart. I would be more comfortable, I may say, if you held it a little less tightly. Adamantus relaxed his grip after his suspicion. I think he has. I don't remember what's going on. I think he has his literal heart of some, or like the heart of some, uh, like a runestone or something. After a suspicious glance, and Fengrel slumped down in his chair. Thank you, he said, straightening up again. That is better. And here's your food. Excellent. Fengrel poured himself some wine and took a pear and some meat, tasted each, nodded his approval, and sent the goblin to serve the others. Kirk wondered if the wizard was eating only to prove his ge- pr- to prove to his guests they were not being poisoned, and decided that he probably was. With or without poison, the food was good and the wine was excellent. McCoy sipped his wine and carefully tasted it, enjoying both the light-bodied rosé and Spock's look, Spock's look of disapproval. A rosé does pair very nicely with a fairy tale. You really ought to try it, Spock, he said. 
Give up, Doctor, said Uhura. You'll never change him. A teetotaler, said Thengrel. A teetotaler. Teetotaler, is that a thing? Yes. I don't know a teetotaler is a person who doesn't drink alcohol. Ah, a teetotaler. In the modern sense, it's the people who are like, I've decided not to drink anymore. For fun. So, like, just for funsies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> teetotaler, said the Thengrel. <laughs> Dear me, how interesting. And he sent the goblin back to bring Spock some water. Now, Sir Adamantus, he said, my plan originally was to take you prisoner because I thought you could not fulfill your demands. I know where the Lady Constance is, but I could not get there. Where? said Adamantus, eagerly. On the moon. <laughs> On the moon. That's impossible, said McCoy. She couldn't live there. Or is she there but not alive? Master Leech, do not say it, begged Adamantus. She is alive, said Thengrill. He added to the doctor. You know and I know that the moon is an airless rock, but in Queen Gloriana's realm, they do not know that. <laughs> and I believe it is not... <laughs> and I... <laughs> And I believe it is not so in their sky. I changed my plan, however, when the Kokidas arrived, for I found in his mind an image he calls a spaceship. I took him prisoner and set about trying to transport a spaceship from him to fly. You could have asked me. Would you have agreed? Oh, probably. I prefer the certainty. I worked through the night and indeed found a spaceship, but my attempt to bring the whole ship here, as you see, floundered. He gestured at the four from the Enterprise. So basically... <laughs> Yo, what the... Basically... Can you imagine being so like a like a like a twenty year old in the sixties who loves Star Trek and is just reading this? With, what I would be like, I don't know. What, these people are too smart for me. I had to read this three times. I like I half get it. Okay, here's my understanding of what has happened. Yes, correct me if uh-huh. I'm wrong. So this wizard fellow mm-hmm. was like, I'm going to steal Lady Constance and put her on the moon, but the moon has no air. But in our magic, if you do not, if you're not from that area, then you don't know what that area is. Uh And so where I steal her from, they won't know that the moon is airless. So for her, it won't be airless, but just in case and to get her there, I need a spaceship. And Mm -hmm. so I've used my magic to reach out into space, grab a spaceship, and I was going to use that to then put Lady Constance on the moon. But I didn't realize that spaceships would have people on it. You're like 80% there. So (laughs) nice job. That's a B minus. Yes. (laughs) So basically, in this realm, Sir Adamantus has taken this wizard's heart. And so he wants to get it back. So he has taken Sir Adamantus's lady love. Yes. And he's like, I gotta put her somewhere. Yes. And so in the middle of planning this, I think the coconut like popped in and he was like, what's going on? And so he was like, look, he looked into the mind of the coconut and was like, the spaceship and also the moon. Sure. Uh, I think he knew about the moon, uncertain about that part. They don't know that the moon doesn't have air, like you said. Yes. So he was like, well, I can put them there because if they don't know that the moon has no air, then it has no bearing upon them. Yes. It only confounds the people from the Starship Enterprise. Yes. I think the spaceship comes into play because the wizard is not, he doesn't want him to not be able to succeed. So he's like, oh, now that I know that spaceships exist, I know there's a way for you to theoretically be able to rescue Lady Constance. So it's not just like me doing nothing. Yes. You in theory could get her if you give me back my heart. Look here, said Kirk. One man alone couldn't operate my ship. So like in theory, uh, Adamantus would be doing it by himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. Said Fengrel. Then it is your fortune that you have already promised Sir, Ad- Sir Adamantus your assistance. Oh, fuck. McCoy touched his diagnostic kit. The Enterprise won't operate back of the beyond, will it? Normally, no, said the Cocotus. However, things could be arranged. He rose. May I? Fengrel nodded and the Cocotus took the crystal ball off the mantle and sat down with it. He stroked it with his right hand, never taking his fingertips off of it, and crooned a spell over it softly. A cloud of color grew in the crystal, shapeless, so as far as Kirk could see, 
but the Cocodus spoke to it happily. Hello, father. I'm in trouble again. No, I'd like to be transported to a ship called the Enterprise. I've got four members of this crew here with me. Oh, no, no, six of us altogether. Sir Adamantus of Spencer's Ferry. Just a moment. He turned to Kirk. Where is the Enterprise now? I don't... Kirk gave him fits of phone. It's just a phone. I'm like, we're talking on cell phones. Yeah, he's just talking on a one. He's talking through a crystal ball on a cell phone to his dad. Kirk gave him the coordinates, wondering what, if anything, they would mean to the young jack-of-all-trades. He rattled them off to the crystal ball and went on. And then, can you transport the Enterprise to the Spencerian world uh, with enough of its own space to leave it uh, operable? Thanks. Oh, anywhere between the moon's orbit and Mercury's will do. Can you keep in touch with me through all of that? Right. Bye. <laughs> text, text you when I get there. Between the moon and Mercury, said Kirk. The coconut nodded. The Ptolemaic universe, sir, said Spock. I should have known, said Kirk ruefully. It's described in the mutability cantos. That reminds me of something. He stared into his glass of wine as the lines came back to him. Cynthia lives in her palace on the moon. Couldn't she send Lady Constance back to Earth? So there's this poem that this world is based on. So I think they are recalling this poem that they happen to know. I did not know it. <laughs> so I don't know what they're talking I about. I received a But they're referencing but they're referencing people and places that are uh, from this like uh stanza. Okay. That's like okay. what this universe is built off of. Oh man, my it's, public ex- education was not I think it might have been more popular in the 60s, but don't quote me on that. You're right. But I'm basically, for, I'm like, forgetting that this, this is might the have equivalent. Been more common knowledge. This is the equivalent of writing a fanfic based on a song. Yes, but a poem, <laughs> yes. like an epic poem, like "Wiggle, Wiggle, Wiggle" from last week. But yes, but this is Spencer's Fairyland or something. Yes, one could argue "Wiggle, Wiggle, Wiggle" might be more cultured in 50 years than it is right now. Because mutability put a spell of silence on the lady's lips and told Cynthia that the parents of the speechless maiden begged her to take the girl under her protection. Not a very good lie, but she left before anyone could challenge it. Hmm, a spell of silence, mused the coconut. Do you know what can break it? Thakra let his head fall back and nearly choked on howls of rusty laughter. What would you guess, Cocytus? He gasped at last. What would you guess? What would you guess? The coconut raised his eyebrow. True love's kiss? Exactly! What... Uh, Your wizards seem to like kisses in spells, remarked <laughs> McCoy. There's <laughs> a lot of kissing, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, mutability is no wizard, said Ben Grill. I like kisses in spells because they provide the maximum embarrassment for the participants. <laughs> That's fair. Hence, the maximum amusement for me. <laughs> this is why I'm going to make the fine pairings escape room, because it would be maximum fun for me. Amusement for me personally. Yeah. Right. Embarrassment for the people in the room, fun for me. And you me. just come out as like a wizard, and do you know uh, uh, how Lizzo keeps doing those bye, bitch? Yes. Videos? Just come out as a wizard, and as they leave, go, bye, bitch! <laughs> That's the only engagement you have with the escape room. They're like, who the hell is that? That the was wizard. the wizard of the escape room. They provide the maximum embarrassment for the participants, hence the maximum amusement for me. But lovers feel no embarrassment in kissing. True love's kiss is not only unimaginative, but dull. Still, what can you expect from a titan's daughter? We'll be off in a minute, the coconut said. The others rose, except Fangrill and Adamantus. You'd better stand up, he told the knight, and turned to the wizard. Thank you for your unusual hospitality. I've enjoyed myself, I think, in a way, on the whole. I'm delighted to hear it, answered Thangrel. Sir Adamantus, tell me, do you insist on dragging my heart all over the universe, or will you consider my part played and leave it behind so that I can spell it back into hiding? Adamantus looked at the wizard for a moment and set the egg down carefully. Farewell, Master Thangrel, he said. Mm, farewell. The coconut looked at the egg. 
Why not put it back where it belongs? Oh, the egg from the goose that was inside the fox. Yes, <laughs> literally, yes. I was like, what the fuck is this egg? Yeah, he had to I find remember. the egg to get it. It's the whole thing. I see, I see, I see. It's all coming I back I didn't to explain me. a lot of this because it's quite long. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I'm piecing it together, which is a sign of a good author. Captain, said Sulu, jumping out of the captain's chair. Where have you been the last five minutes? Five minutes, said Kirk. Yes. And who's that? Asked Sulu. And that, he added a moment later. <gasps> Adamantus armor, Adamantus's armor was so spectacular and out of place that the Cocodus was at first invisible. So they're back on the ship and Sulu's ah. like, what is going on? <laughs> Classic. Kirk looked around at the familiar chairs and panels. His arm hurt and he could feel a little blood oozing out of the cut. A bit of wadded up cobweb fell oh, off the sleeve to the I was floor. Like, I was like, wait, I thought he was wearing band-aids. I forgot about the cobwebs. I'm not sure I know the answers to any of your questions, Mr. Sulu, but these gentlemen are called Sir Adamantus and the Cocodus. Sulu started over to his own seat, but Kirk stopped him. Keep command, Mr. Sulu. We're going down to the sickbay for a few minutes. While McCoy cleaned and bound Uhura's wound properly, Kirk said, The five minutes' absence is your doing, Kokotus. Yes, my father's, rather. How long do we have until the next shift? A few minutes. Longer than it took him to get ready to get us here. How does that feel, Uhura? Asked uh, McCoy. Not bad. I don't feel shaky all over now. Good. Your turn, Jim. <laughs> he set to work on Kirk's arm. Uhura, said Kirk. You're relieved from duty if you want to be. You choose Bach. You've all had a, well, a disquieting time. <laughs> I'd rather not, sir, Uhura said. At least not until after we've seen the Ptolemaic moon. Understandable, said Kirk. Same with you, Spock? Yes, Captain. McCoy grinned. Can't I be relieved from duty so I can hang out around the bridge for fun? <laughs> yes, and if you're done tying ribbons on me. Done, Captain. All right, Kirk said. Kirk looked around at his little company. Grass, dirt, and water competed for precedence in staining and his own uniform and a small patch of dried blood in addition to everything else. I'll see you on the bridge when we've changed. Saradamantis, Cocodus, would you like to borrow fresh clothes? Better not, said the Cocodus. We'll be out of here quite quickly. A few minutes later, they were all gathered on the bridge. Yohura and Kirk were the last. They centered together and found the second navigator and the second communications officer standing by the captain's chair, listening incredulously to a discussion of the advantages of fencing as opposed to sword fighting, which <laughs> they did earlier, exactly. uh, with a shield between Sulu and Sir Adamantus. Spock, McCoy, and the Cocodus were listening with less interest, although the Cocodus was occasionally thrown in remarks, randomly supporting one side or the other. Spock rose from the captain's chair in his obtrusively quiet way, and walked to his own when he saw Kirk. All in order, Mr. Spock, said Kirk, ignoring the race to restore order. Yes, sir, said Spock. As Kirk and Uhura settled their seats, the ship bucked. Kirk clamped his teeth against a cry as his injured arm bumped against the arm of the chair. They're going to this moon. Ah. <laughs> They're going to this moon to see if they can get Lady Constance. Captain, said Sulu unhappily. Is that Earth I see on the screen? Or aren't you sure of that either? I'm not sure, Mr. Sulu, said Kirk cautiously. But it's an Earth. We won't be here long. Set course for the moon. Perfect. Without crossing the moon's orbit, added the Cocotus. Seriously? Said Sulu. Yes, said Kirk. Otherwise you'll break the crystal sphere, explained the Cocotus. Sulu and the second navigator looked at each other and then at the Cocodus. What crystal sphere? They said in unison. The one the moon is in! All the planets are set in them. Their turning is what makes everything rotate around the Earth, you know. If you can get a view on your screen at right angles to the plane of the ecliptic, you should be able to see the axle tree. Oh, <laughs> said Sulu! <laughs> what axle tree? said the second navigator. The one that turns the crystal spheres! Of course. Sir, we can't establish an orbit, th orbit this way, <laughs> offered the second navigator. Unnecessary, said Kirk. We just want an approach close enough to beam Sir Adamantus down. The second navigator subsided with a few muttered <laughs> remarks about plate armor and spacesuits, and he and Sulu set the course. Captain, said Uhura, I'm picking up something. Radio? Says Bach incredulously, going to look over her shoulder. 
Yes, but very low frequency. Not more than four kilocycles or so. Just a moment. I think I can make it audible. Soon she had a sweet humming sound filling the bridge. It was a chord, but the bass note was much lower than the rest. They found themselves straining to hear all the notes equally. The blend had a comforting sound. Kirk felt his head fall back, his muscles eased, and the pain left his arm. It occurred to him that he should not be staring slack-jawed at the ceiling, but he was too comfortable to do anything about it. He could just see an upside-down Kokodus running towards Ihara before the young man collapsed languidly out of his field of vision. Spock! the Kokodus called. It was meant to be a desperate, but it came out as a yawn, blending with a sweet noise. Spock moved one hand slowly past Uhura. At last he fell, knocking them both against the panel, where his hand, dragging among the dials, found the main communicator and turned it all drugged, and turning it off, just... <laughs> Kirk snapped his head down and sprang out of his chair. The coconut thrust himself off the floor. Spock and Uhura disentangled themselves, murmuring polite apologies. McCoy rubbed his eyes and asked, What in heaven's name was that? When are they all gonna kiss? <laughs> It's part After of the, they're drugged. <laughs> I was like, they're all drugged now. That means they got to kiss again Kissing to break the time. spell. A most apt expletive, Doctor, said Spock. The music of the spheres, obviously. Oh, obviously, agreed Kirk. A slow, joyous smile crept over his face. McCoy glared at him. Stop jotting that down in your mental notebook of Spockisms and do something, sir. Spock's done all that's necessary, but I suppose I could escort Sir Adamantus to the transporter room. Sulu, how soon will we be close enough? Five minutes, sir. Excellent. Kirk bowed, glancing sideways to see if the Cocodus enjoyed the gesture. He did. Sir Adamantus, may I show you the way? Lead on, Sir James. Kirk reappeared by himself shortly. Uhura, he said. Stand by to notify the transporter room. Sulu, give her the signal directly. Yes, sir. Kirk examined the screen happily. Mr. Spock, he said. Is there really any life on that moon? Spock checked the sensors. Mm, affirmative, sir. Quite a large concentration in one spot. I assume it to be the location of Cynthia's palace. Ooh. What are they breathing? Asked Sulu. Ether. There isn't any such thing, several voices said. <laughs> there isn't any such thing. There isn't, there isn't there's any such thing. If you like uh, attenuated but breathable air any better, you may call it air. However, it extends beyond the surface of the moon. It is, in fact, pervasive, except in our immediate vicinity. I prefer to call it ether. Quite right, said the Cocutus. On the screen, the moon grew larger. Already they could see Cynthia's palace of ivory and silver. Slowly the palace grew, and they could see figures running out of the palace to stare at them. Now, said Sulu. Now, said Arthur to the uh, intercom. A silver figure appeared on the plain and moved towards the palace. One of the figures in the group ran forward to meet the newcomer. They embraced. So they have successfully beamed down, not Scotty. <laughs> Excellent. Onto the moon. Now, said the coconuts uh, to the empty air. The ship jerked again, and they were back where they had started a few minutes or hours ago. Goodbye, said the Cocutus, and disappeared. <laughs> it's just as quickly as he appeared. He's, he's gone. He's gone from their lives. Spock looked at the empty space and turned to Kirk. Sir, how will you enter this on the log? Carefully. Well, Mr. Spock, Kirk said and paused. He smiled sweetly. <laughs> That's not your concern. No, sir, agreed Spock politely. Besides, you'll look it up as soon as the captain goes off duty, said McCoy. Spock looked hurt. Sulu leaned back in his chair and counted faces. The right ones were all there. I don't suppose, Captain, he remarked, that you have any certainties now about what happened? Oh, yes, said Kirk. I have one, Mr. Sulu. And that is? It never happened. And since it never happened, I need not record it in the log. Understood? <laughs> they nodded. That's an excellent argument. If this isn't a universe that doesn't exist, I don't have to write it down. This was just ten minutes of time in which we floated through space. You know, honestly, that appears to be what happened. Uh, yep. Mr. Sulu, said Spock thoughtfully. Yes. I'd like a few more fencing lessons, if you don't mind. So would I, said Kirk. Me too, said McCoy. I'd be delighted. How about you, Uhura? 
said Sulu. No thanks, she said, rising to go off duty. I'm going to be too busy the next few days. There's a long poem I want to read. If the ship's library has it. It does, said Spock. The end. <laughs> what a... So, like, this fanfic from 1967 had the pieces of crossover, of fairy tale AU, of, uh, like, deleted episodes. Yeah. It, it encapsulated, like, every piece of our modern fanfiction in yes. a way that was so hard to understand. There was unnecessary kissing. Unnecessary kissing. Wizards. Wizards. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Very, like, coded uh, pieces before Harry Potter existed. It was... I was... I read this and I was like, what? How? What year is it? How did you think of this? We've stumbled upon so many fanfics that are just, like, weirdly specific to, like, whatever the author was doing. Yeah. And it's, like, it's still great. It's just, like, it's, like, dang. It's that you have... A, this author, uh, Ruth Berman, has a knowledge of, like, many things. Yes. Of this, like, epic poem that's referenced. And, yes. like, all... And, like, Greek mythology and, like, regular fairy tale and Star Trek. And, like, it was so many things. Dang. That was so, so yeah, interesting and it weird. It was weirdly easy to find these fanzines, but hard to find what I was going to read on this show. Yeah. So if anyone wants to read more of this, uh, it's uh, an archived thing. Again, we will put it in the show notes. If you want to read the specific fanfiction in its entirety, it is from Spockanalia Volume 1, which we will also link in the show notes. I did enjoy the fanfiction. Oh, no, it was good. But also, it was like a history lesson. Uh, and so I didn't like it in that way. Because <laughs> I don't like schoolwork. I hate learning. So this is the last regular episode <laughs> of the season. We wanted to end on a fun, like historical note like give you some knowledge give you some <laughs> some appreciation for your AO3 easy to find well bullshit. Tagged. <laughs> well tagged you know going into a fanfic nowadays that it's an AU that I it's like whatever job. I want Ruth Berman's like grandchild to be listening to this podcast and be like grandma <laughs> I would die if you if you know Ruth Berman or have any ties to anyone who wrote fan fiction in the 60s and had it published in a zine, please contact me. I want to talk to them so bad. Six degrees of Ruth Berman. Oh, that'd be amazing. Okay, so in the meantime, we will be doing uh, two more episodes for this season, then we'll take a little hiatus. We're going to do our fic requests, so things that people have DM'd to us on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, or by email. <laughs> The traditional way. <laughs> Email. We get things everywhere, dude. Uh, that people have sent to us, so we'll probably do two, question mark, because things are long. Uh, we do do some of those things on our Patreon at Steam and Cream, because you guys are filthy bastards and send me smut. You send us stuff and I like that it. Is, <laughs> that's a little too X-rated to read to the team. Yes, so we read that on the Patreon, but a couple of those non-X-rated ones we will read in the next episode, and then after that we'll be reading our original fanfictions as a thank you for some of you who have written five-star reviews for Five Facts Podcast. So remember, if you have submitted a five-star review and you haven't claimed your submission, take a screenshot of your five-star submission, email it to us at findpairingspodcast at gmail.com, and tell us what you would like as the prompt for your 500-word fan submission. And uh, we will see you for the next two weeks of the finale episodes. Yeah. You know our stuff. Yeah. Find pairings, po find pairings Podcast at everywhere except Twitter, which is Find, find pairings, pairings Pod. Pod. Patreon is patreon.com forward slash Find Pairings Podcast. Um, that's it. Murder, that's it. Murder She Wrote. I hope you had fun in history class today, kids. <laughs>
Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>